Welcome back to the Call to Create podcast here at Open Space Event Studios in Bend, Oregon. Today I get to sit down and talk with Dr. Rebecca L. Johnson, the Vice President of Oregon State University Cascades. So, Becky Johnson, OSU Cascade Vice President, sitting here with me today. We are way underqualified to have this conversation with a woman of this distinction, but here we are. We somehow managed to Shanghai you in to sit down with me today, and I really appreciate it. So, thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me. Okay, so we were just talking about this, and so let me make sure I understand. So, there for Oregon State University, there is the president of the university in Corvallis, the main campus of OSU. You are the vice president of the OSU Cascades campus, but you're kind of like, for OSU Cascades, you're top of the heap. Is that how that works out? Yeah, that's right. And it does get awkward because people (laughs) think there's somebody above me, right, at OSU Cascades. And... uh, it's just the way the bureaucracy works in right. academia. In some places, I'd be called a chancellor, uh, and there would be a president, but we don't do that at OSU. And is there a distinction between a chancellor and a vice president, or are they kind of the same? They would be the same thing in this case, right? Okay. So and you're so the chancellor or the vice president, like you are the head executive of OSU. That's right. That's right. Had a, had a number of different titles over the years. Chief Academic Officer, CEO, they've tried Dean, they've tried right. lots of things. And <laughs> now we're Vice President. Right. Like leader extraordinary. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> no, that wasn't good. one. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have now been with OSU Cascades since the very, since this plan started. Is that right? No, uh, OSU Cascades actually started in 2001. Oh. And it was sitting up on the uh, COCC campus. And, okay. and so uh, we had leased a building there that was called Cascades Hall. They actually built it for us to occupy. Okay. Uh, and that started in 2001. I think there were about 250 students here at the time. And those students were in a hodgepodge of different programs trying to finish their four-year degree in Central Oregon because they okay. were place-bound. And now we have about 1,300 students. And uh, in 2014, we got permission to uh, offer freshman, sophomore classes. Before that, we were just junior and senior, so students started at COCC, and then they transferred to OSU Cascades. So we got permission. capstone? Yeah, yeah. right. They start their degree at the community college and finish their degree at OSU Cascades. Which is, which is really good for some students, and we still have that option. Uh, okay. In fact, the majority of our students still transfer into OSU Cascades rather than starting there as, as freshmen. Okay. But um, it wasn't what everybody thought of when they thought we want a four-year university here in, in Central <laughs> Oregon. Right. And, and so we got permission finally from the state board, and they said, yeah, you can become a four-year university. And then it's like, well, where will we go? Where will we be located? And, we thought about trying to stay on the community college campus, but as we grew and as they grew, that, that seemed right. problematic. And and so we ended up uh, having our own place in 2015, I think, we moved to our own campus. Okay, is that when you... I came in 2009. 2009, okay, so you were, you were there for that transition yeah. Yeah. from COCC to your own campus. Right, right. Now, where you guys stand right now, you have a 10-acre campus 
on the west side of Bend, and it's soon, and it, you have about, you said 1,100 students? 1,300. 1,300 students. What you're expanding into is how, how big is the campus going to be? When it's Total of about 125 acres. And I'm sure that has gone smoothly, no problems, <laughs> just breezed yeah, right through. Yeah. Well, the 10 acres wasn't too bad, other than right. we had some opposition from neighbors that weren't very happy about having a university in there close to their neighborhood. So that was a, that was a challenge for sure. Uh, but the challenge we really have to expand beyond the 10 acres is we bought a 45-acre pumice mine and right. a 75-acre demolition landfill. <laughs> oh, those are two separate things. Yeah. Okay, I'm yeah. glad you clarified that because that was going to be a question yeah. of mine. And I'm, yeah, so from what I've seen, and I live over on that side of okay. town, so I've, I drive by there now, it's amazing the amount of excavation <laughs> that has had to happen to, yeah. I guess, get down to like native soil, right? Yeah. You have to get to where it's stable and now you can actually build things on top of it. Yeah. So it was, uh, you know, we were actually up a little bit from where it used to be. It was an active pumice mine. We, okay. we had a mining permit when we bought it, so we could have mined some more. Okay. But yeah, they did have University to actually... your pumice mine. Yeah, right, right. right. <laughs> or garbage, uh, you know, right, yeah. landfill supervisor. Um, we did have to dig out a little bit of stuff that had been thrown in there to get down to the native soil, but we've added a lot. So we took those slopes and we pulled a lot of material off the slopes okay. um, and then that allowed us to, to build up. So the new building that you see there right now is only one story below the 10 acre campus. Oh wow, okay. So, um, but then of course it keeps going, going down right. from there. Okay, I want to back up and ask a question. You had said something about the state board yeah. of education or something, the state board yeah. gave you permission to pursue yeah. a second campus. Is that so the, the, does the actual state of Oregon decide if you can build another campus or not? Yeah, well, they, they don't exist anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> there used to be an Oregon State Board of Higher Education that oversaw all, four, all seven universities, and they had this kind of authority. And uh, now each university has their own independent boards. And so at this point, we would not have had to ask the state for that permission, but at the time it, okay. it was required. And you know how fast Bend has been growing. Even in 2009, when we were in the depth of the re recession, it was still a growing, uh, attractive right. community that has never had a four-year university. Right. And so there was a lot of momentum here locally to get one. Right. It just it kind of short circuits my brain a little bit. Thank you have to ask the State <laughs> Board of Higher Education for permission to build another campus. I would yeah. think it's, like if you as a university decide, is, it, is that just because you're a state university or is that just kind of for any private university, anything? No, yeah, it's just because we're a public university, okay. yeah. Still, so the privates can do what they, what they like, and I'm surprised there's not a private university in <coughs> Central Oregon, uh, mm -hmm. given the, the growth here and the vibrancy, and I'm right. sure at some point one will one will move in. Right. Now that you guys have... Yeah, now that we've set the table, You've opened right? the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of regulations around uh, universities in general uh, and other areas, what degrees we're allowed to offer. That has to go through a state. Um, 
kind of a approval process where all of the other universities get to weigh in about whether they think it's okay for us to offer, say, engineering. And really? there is a lot of competition among universities. And because we are in this fast growing area, uh, we are seen maybe as competition to especially Western Oregon, Eastern Oregon, Southern Oregon. And um, they think if we weren't here, all of these Central Oregon students would go to one of their universities. And, um, yeah. and unfortunately, they're in, in regions that aren't growing like Central Oregon is. So their enrollment has has been declining and ours has been growing. So um, when we say, can we have a new a new degree program? The answer is often no. Right, right. <laughs> so. <clears throat> so, yeah, so much for competition. <laughs> they, they don't want you yes. competing with them yes. in the same program. Right. Okay. And you, so since 2009, and if you would take us a little before 2009, where you, were an already a professor at OSU, correct? Yeah, I started as a professor in 1984, so that's how old I am. <laughs> but I came right out of grad school and I've been here ever since. I just love Oregon State University. I got a job, I'm an economist, but I got a job in the College of Forestry. I'm a natural resource economist. And um, the College of Forestry is probably one of the best, if not the best in the country. And so once you're in the College of Forestry at Oregon State University, there's really kind of no reason to think about going anywhere else. Oh, I got you. <clears throat> and you think about the west side of Oregon and the kinds of forests we have, it's, right. it's an amazing place. And so uh, I did that for 20 years and then I became the associate dean in the College of Forestry for five years. And then I became the vice provost for academic affairs and international programs at the whole university. Right. So that's where I was in 2009 when we had fired the head of the campus over here and they needed somebody to come over on an interim basis while they searched for a permanent and nobody wanted to come because it wasn't doing that well. And, right. uh, and my boss couldn't find anybody and I finally said, okay, I'll go, but I'm coming back to Corvallis. You know, I'll do it for two or three months, but I'm coming back. And right. I came over here and they were talking about possibly closing the campus at that time because it was struggling. and. Um, the state, again, this was 2009, it was, uh, you know, recession and, and right. trouble. And so the Ways and Means Committee, which is the budget writing, you know, committee for the state, went around the state doing public meetings and they came to Bend. And we had like 600 people show up saying, you can't cut OSU Cascades. And I was like, whoa, this is, this is kind of cool. <laughs> because, you know, in, in Corvallis, we're just taken for granted, right? You right, wouldn't get right, 600 right. people to come out to, uh, to be in, in support of, of the university. It's right, more right. like, uh, you know, why are you have people parking in my neighborhood and, and things like that. So I was really impressed by that and, and ended up uh, deciding I wanted to stay in it. And I've been here okay, since. That was, that was going to be one of my questions for you because I saw in your bio that you had, you were, you had just agreed to come here on a temporary yeah. basis and that the but something changed your mind along the way and it was just the support yeah, of the community yeah. for it. Because you wouldn't have thought the community was supportive. Uh, you know, the newspaper had some negative right. editorials about the, the university and, and, uh, and so I was really shocked that people, but it's, you know, it's human nature, right? It takes, it threatened to take something away from people even if they hadn't really been paying attention that much to it. Um, 
then it's like, well, wait a minute, we really want a universe right, in here. Right, right. <clears throat> and and, and uh, is it also the, is there, there has to be a huge attraction for you that you're creating something whole, almost of, you know, literally yeah. out of raw yeah. land, like yeah. you're taking something that didn't exist before. Yeah. And it's not just the physical campus, it's the whole university, right? right. I mean, very few people get the, get the opportunity that I've had to come into a university. And again, it was eight years old at the time, but right. really we had seven or eight degrees and we probably have 20 now. So this whole idea of what do we want to be? What degree should we offer? You know, most universities, I, we never talked about that for the 20 years I was in Corvallis, right? right? You, you had the degrees you had. And, that was set. Yeah. yeah. And, and so you certainly paid attention to how your industry might be changing and changing your curriculum, but you weren't thinking about a blank slate and saying, what does Central Oregon need? You know, what do the students here need? What do the businesses right. need? What does the community need? So that was fun. And as when you first came here, were you still teaching or were you, you were yeah. just running the show, yeah. managing the transition to your own campus, all that stuff? Yeah, and I really hadn't been teaching in the five years mm -hmm. that I was there because I was doing right. kind of this upper administrative right. kind of things. But your your background is and is and is as an economist. So why am I here in a creative show, right? Well, <laughs> no, I mean to me, to me, creativity expresses itself in whatever field you are drawn to. I mean, I think back to I, my my family's accountant was one of the most creative people I knew. Really? He was passionate about that field uh -huh. and could, you know, uh, I don't know the, how, to, how to make a verb out of account. He could do accounting <laughs> in, in rings around anyone uh -huh. else. You know? So I feel like creativity expresses itself in whatever you're passionate about. Yeah. And so how did that, was that, as an economist, I would think you would find Really find it really fascinating to get to build build the sort of uh, new sort of beating heart of the economy of Central Oregon. You know, there is a perspective that economists bring to you know any issue, any problem, which is logic and supply and demand, right? Right. And, and so I think it is an asset that the president that just retired from OSU was an economist. Um, and I think in general, there's a, a good path to leadership, to thinking logically and thinking about analyzing any kind of a problem about supply and demand. It's like, what, what's needed here? How can we make it happen? Yeah. And so, so now that now that the new the new campus is underway, you're still sounds like you're still developing, trying to figure out what degree programs to offer. Absolutely, and yeah. Is it getting easier? Is it getting harder? <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to admit that the more successful we are, the harder it is because there's more resistance. Right. And uh, and that can even happen from our colleagues in in Corvallis, you right. know, because. Uh, Everybody's competing for the same students these days, and I don't know if you know the demographics of the United States are that we're at a little bit of a plateau in terms of 
high school graduates uh, oh, and, okay. and coming into colleges. So every college around the country is scrambling to try to keep their enrollments up. And so Oregon is seen as a state that's growing. So you'll find universities from all over the country now are like, which states are growing? Which ones aren't? Let's go steal their students (laughs) and offer them, you know, scholarships and offer them things, incentives to try to get them to come. And the the latest I was reading in the paper, it was pretty recently that there was some, there was a push to try to basically make OSU Cascades not OSU part, not Make make us less compelling, right? (laughs) That was introduced by the representative that lives in Monmouth. And so, of course, he's associated with Western Oregon University. And as I said, they've had some declining enrollments. Mm -hmm. And he felt like our association with OSU, which is a very great brand, right? It's a research one university, a very research intensive university. Uh, it's it's large, it's well-known, was giving us too much of an advantage over the regional universities. And they, he felt that we should be a regional university just like Western, Eastern, and Southern. So let's change our name to Central Oregon University, take away our ability to offer doctorate programs, and uh, put us kind of on the same uh, playing field as, as they're on and of course that's not what anybody in Central Oregon wants that that association with a, uh, a great land-grant university is a real asset for all of us and so anyway we, I wish that we the conversation would be how can we help Western Oregon and Eastern and Southern grow right. and not how do we hamper the, <laughs> the university that is growing right right <laughs> Hey, and this is a, almost an aside, but what does it mean that if something is a land-grant university? How yeah. is it? Well, it, it goes back term. to the Morrill Act during Lincoln's tenure, and, it, and at the time it was called the People's University. Okay. And it was originally, higher education was just for the elites. And, uh-huh. and so this idea was we need to have public universities. And in particular, I think they were focused on agriculture, um, engineering and uh, military science okay. Okay. In, the, in the very beginning. And so a lot of land grants still have a large ag component. Uh, we have ROTC at, um, at OSU. We have, one, we have a program here at OSU Cascades as well. So there still is a, a military preparation aspect to them. Um, but they also have outreach and so extension, I don't know if you're familiar with extension, but you probably know what 4-H is. Right. Yeah. That's part of extension, master gardener. But we have an office in every county in Oregon, Oregon State University does. Yeah. And it's the way that we reach out to the entire state. That's what a land grant does, responsible for the entire state and try to address whatever the, those needs. And it used to all be agriculture and home right. economics and things, but now it's it's engineering it's forestry it's lots of different okay. things okay that was just i've heard those terms before and i never really yeah they often talk the three legged stool so it's education and it's research and it's outreach that's okay. kind of the gotcha idea of a land grant gotcha and you're so you have now been in academia and and doing this basically your entire career right um is this, I mean, I have to think that creating a university campus whole cloth has to be 
you just have to kind of think like this is your this is your legacy, <laughs> is it not? Is that how this yeah, is well, to you? I I'm very proud of what we've done, but believe me, it doesn't happen with just me. Right. And right. It, it has been you know, and we couldn't do it without the community, for sure. And that that goes for this things like showing up in Salem and and uh, lobbying for the money that we need to do it, but. Um, helping us decide which uh, degree programs we want. I'm on the board of EDCO, which is Economic Development for Central Oregon. And when I first got here, they were like, we need engineering degrees, you know, we have to have engineering degrees because that's, we're getting these software firms coming in, we're getting manufacturing here. And that was, that was my job. I got to figure out how we can get some engineering degrees over here in Central Oregon. So I've always got my ear to the ground about what's needed in terms of, of uh, degrees, but then, those people tend to step up as well. And so we, Ben Broadband, uh, put some money in for us to start an energy systems engineering degree. Uh, Hydroflask put some money in so we could start a degree in outdoor products. Um, the Oxford Suites put some money in so we could have a hospitality management degree. I mean, the community has just been really instrumental in, in helping us grow. And then the physical campus requires uh, donor money to be able to match the state grants. Mm -hmm. And so for Tyson Hall, we had to raise $4 million. For the Ray Hall that we're building right now, we had to raise $10 million. Wow. So yeah, those aren't small numbers for a, a small <laughs> university like we are. And we don't have alums. You know, most universities get their donations from people who went there 50 years ago and feel like they want to give back. But right. we don't have anybody that went here 50 years ago. We are now, like where we are physically, as we're recording the show, sitting in what is now called the Central District in Bend, former, still, it's kind of light industrial focused part of town that we're, the city is trying to switch over from light industrial to sort of pedestrian friendly live work spaces and restaurants and retail and that kind of thing. You guys on the west side, that was pretty, I mean, it was well-developed already on residentially on the west side, but like you said, you took over a pumice mine <laughs> and a construction waste dump site or something right, like that. Right. It, it seems that what you're up to is transforming a space that was underutilized, unutilized. The city's trying to do a similar thing here right. on the east side trying to transform the utilization of the space to something that is more useful to the community at this point. I mean, that's not fair perhaps to the, the industry that happens here, but I think there are other spaces in the city that serve that need better. Mm -hmm. At least that's the way the city views it. Yeah. Uh, how much of that, how much of that has been an uphill battle? How much of that has been a, a process that was helped by the city. What's what has that been yeah. like for you guys over there on the west side? Yeah, we uh, looked at lots of different sites, and I was very fortunate to have four or five people really knowledgeable about real estate here in in Central Oregon that got on a little committee with me, uh -huh. and we we looked at Redmond. You know, obviously mm -hmm. looked at Juniper Ridge, uh, looked at the Stevens Track out on the east side of, of town. We looked. Mm -hmm. At lots of different places where we could do that and we first were thinking about repurposing buildings that were uh, in the Mill Point area uh, which okay. is kind of Columbia Colorado 
for the same kind of thing. It's like, and again, this was 2000, you know, 10, 11, 12, when we started looking and, and commercial real estate was cheap. Yeah, right? especially we, after the yeah. collapse. So you're looking at a lot of buildings there that have a lot of vacancy and it's like, wouldn't it be cool to repurpose these into a university where we're really in and amongst uh, private sector buildings. Right. Well, unfortunately, the real estate market <laughs> recovered and we right. couldn't afford to do that You're anymore. Like, Never mind, we'll go look somewhere else. <laughs> right. Um, and we did look at Juniper Ridge and lots of people, of course, wanted us to do that because right. that was the original master plan for Juniper Ridge. Because if I, if I remember correctly, Juniper Ridge, it's owned by the city, right? right. And they intended it, or still intend, for it to be a huge commercial right. development. Right. It's kind of on the eastern edge of town. Northeast, right? yeah. And they've seen it. Other than, I think, the Les Schwab headquarters. Yeah, the there. There's kind of not much out there. Right. Is that right? That's right. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're putting in a sewer interceptor now. Um, but at the time, we were looking. Uh, there was no sewer interceptor, and there was the issue of the Cooley Road interchange, you know, so all the traffic and the sewer issues had been there uh, from the beginning. And basically what I was told was we would have to pay for a new interchange and we would have to put up the money up front for the sewer improvement before we could even get started. And the land wasn't going to be free anyway. We had to buy the land as well. And it's right. like... And so, as you can see, we're in 2021 now, there's still no interchange, and they're just now, you know, working on the sewer. So we would have been still up at COCC, I guess, trying right. to figure out how are we gonna build a building up there, you know? And right. so, anyway, um, I, I know a lot of people wanted to have the university be on the edge of, of town somewhere, but right. that wasn't my vision at all, I think. Students want to be in the mix the same way you're here in the Central District. People want to be in a vibrant area where there's retail and there's um, restaurants and, right. and bars. There's students after all, right? Um, really easy access to Mount Bachelor uh, and hiking trails and biking trails. That's what young people want to do. And, yeah. and of course, that's what everybody in Bend wants to do, right? And that's so right. that's why we're yeah, all here, yeah, right? Yeah. And so our, our site won't hold probably more than 5,000 students uh, and at the time, so we had to master plan it for 5,000 and that number, I think, scared people. Oh my God, 5,000 students. Well, it's been five years and we have 1,300. You know, it just doesn't happen all at once, right? It's not like 5,000 yeah. people show up right day. Right, yeah. and so I think the, the opposition has certainly settled down and I think people have seen that this is gonna be a long, process that you'll have time to get used to it. I think people like what we're doing with the campus. And mm -hmm. uh, as that pumice mine gets developed, all that's going to be open for people to right. to come in and, and walk their dog or take a hike, whatever they want to do. And I mean, and I've watching this process go on since I moved here seven and a half years ago. Like, you know, I always thought like, who else, what other entity mm -hmm. could ever come along and put that land to you? Like, First of all, do all the remediation you have to do to undo the environmental, whatever, I don't know how much environmental damage that yeah. stuff created, but it couldn't have been great. Right. Who else is going to have the resources and the will and all of that to yeah. make something like that 
to turn that around and make right. it into usable land. And that's the advantage of us being a public university. If we were a private university, we'd have to figure out, you know, how, how to raise that. And of course, private universities' tuition is usually about four times what ours is. And so that does give them more resources than we have. But we're, we're a public university, and so the state does support a right. lot of the capital needs. So when we need a new building, we can get on the list of, of uh, priorities. Right now, we're on the list in this legislative session for a new that our next building will be called a student success center and it will be all of the things that students need outside of the classroom so we think about advising and mental health counseling physical health counseling um, veteran services disability access services hmm. career services you know there's about 20 different things that that we have to provide well we want to provide students you know to help right. them be successful and so right now those are kind of crammed into our academic building. <laughs> and as we grow, there's just not, not space. So right. we did get that building into the governor's recommended budget in, in December, which was a really big step for us because if you're not in the governor's budget, it's just an uphill battle to try to get into the final budget right. bill at the end of the session. So we're gonna be doing a lot of lobbying over there from now till June to try to keep that building in the, in the budget. One thing you mentioned, I'm curious about, as a public university, uh, is, is there, it sounds like offering veteran services is a, is a specific um, drive or mission that you mm -hmm. guys have. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and mostly just because they are a unique population. You know, most of those uh, um, students are coming back after serving in the military. Some of them are active. Um, military now, um, but uh, they've had experiences that are different than other students. Uh, some of them are on veterans' benefits, and and we try to help them figure out how they can get the you know the best uh, benefits that they that they're due in terms of tuition assistance and. Uh, but just having support services so that they all know uh, know each other. They have feel like they have a group that's there that's um, has their back and has like similar backgrounds, yes. similar yeah. experiences. experiences, right? Yeah, and that's not unlike uh, all the ethnic groups and, and uh -huh. that that also want to have a place and a group that that um, understands their experiences uh -huh. and can relate when they're having issues or challenges. So our problem with all of those is never having space for all those groups. And the veterans right. came and asked if they could have the space under the under the stairs <laughs> um, in our building. And, uh, you know, it's just, we're talking just a little tiny place under the stairs. Right. And, and even that is like, well, if we give that to the, to the veterans, then we're gonna have five other groups that are gonna want us to have space. So the right. Student Success right. Center will allow us to, to make space for all those affinity groups. Gotcha, gotcha, okay. Wow, that's, it's all part of, I guess, juggling all yeah. the, where it's like spinning plates. It's like a juggling chainsaws, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it's better visual, but yeah. trying to keep all of that equally available to all the different groups, I can yeah. imagine that's. And you can imagine right now, it, it's a really, tough time for a lot of people where yeah. we have the trial going on with mm -hmm. the George Floyd incident. There's been the shootings in Georgia and Colorado. Yeah. And um, I think it's really, and then the, of course the whole pandemic, right? And so yeah. people- we all, been, need, <laughs> we all need support yeah. from that, I think. 
So our students have basically been learning remote for a year now. And do you guys have a plan? Like a, I'm sure you have a plan, but do you have like a, a clear idea of when things are probably going to return to normal? Is like the fall semester going to be when you guys come yeah. back to in-person instruction? Yeah, that's our plan is fully in-person for right. fall. And what we don't know is, will we still have to do a little bit of distancing? We're pretty sure we'll probably have to require face coverings uh, in classrooms. And so the, the face coverings are about how long you're in close proximity to someone. So if you're sitting okay. in a class for 50 minutes, there's a pretty good chance you're gonna be breathing somebody else's air. Right. And, and right. so we, yeah, unless things really get better uh, with, with COVID by fall, we'll probably be having face coverings in the classrooms. But if we don't have to be six feet apart, that allows us to right. uh, have enough classrooms that everybody can come back. Right. Yeah, because I think even the public school, the elementary and middle right. high school systems, they're all going down three feet at this right. point, right? So, yep. Yeah. And that would let you guys do your thing. Yeah, and of course we have the new building that's going to be opening in the right. fall too, so that will give us a lot more space. So kind of getting back to these sort of parallel redevelopment projects mm -hmm. of like the central district and what you guys are doing on the west side, is there, are, are you guys part of or giving input or because, because you're a university, you have economists and planners and engineering and mm -hmm. it, is there a sort of crossover or input being sought from the university as to how this is being redeveloped or? I think the main place where we are probably uh, collaborating is on transportation alternatives. And we really see the need for corridors that go east-west. Oh, and please, in, yeah. In bed and <laughs> On bikes and stuff. Right, right. Right. Yeah. And, and what do we want to do about transit? Uh, you know, people probably aren't going to get on big buses and all go to, you know, we're not big enough as a city that, that uh, we can fill up a bus with right. like, people that are all going to the same place. And so what's, what's the innovative future on, on transportation, whether it's Uber or whether it's scooters or, you know, whatever. Um, but we clearly need to have safe corridors for people who want to do something other than be in their car. And we really don't have that in Bend at this time, right. especially east-west. So um, I know we're involved in a lot of conversations with the city and, and other groups about, uh, about transportation, the future of transportation in Bend. And um, then I think we just have common interests in what you might just call smart cities. You know, how, how do you lay out a city or parts of a city in a way that's efficient from a, an energy perspective and these transportation alternatives and people being able to live and, and work in the same area, walkable communities. So right. we certainly have common interests in that right. as well. And that is 100% what they're trying to do with right. this part of town. Right. You know, I think I think that we will get there eventually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, almost in spite of in spite of, of itself, the city will get there. Yeah. Um, what do you think the time frame will be? I mean, they just you know they just passed that or they pushed for that huge bond. I think to redevelop this over like a thirty-year time frame, mm -hmm. and I was kind of like surely this is going to happen faster than 30 <laughs> years 
I would think, I would hope that in a 10 year time frame, this whole area of town will be unrecognizable yeah. from what it is right now. I think a lot of that's going to depend on how growth keeps happening, right? Right. Yeah, the patterns of growth, but also how much, how resistant the, the city mechanism is yeah. to people trying to make those changes happen. And I feel like the city is totally invested in the Central District, right? They talk about it all the time. This yeah. should be a, a top priority for them. and. I know that whenever they want to change a land use rule, there's process you have to go through, and right. uh, I'm sure that's part of what's making this difficult and, and lengthy, but the goal is, I think the city's talking about maybe even having City Hall in the Central District. And if that, uh, if that happened, could that be the anchor, right? And then helps develop right. other people. And that's that's the way the university was, was seen in terms of Juniper Ridge, right? We could be the anchor. If we were right. in Juniper Ridge, it would be more attractive for other people then to come in and develop around yeah. the university. I mean, just speaking from my experience in the process of redeveloping this property, they there doesn't need to be such a massive move by the city to like create an anchor or to create a, a like if my my opinion is if the city would just make it easier, faster, less expensive mm -hmm. for the current property owners to redevelop, it'll happen mm -hmm. quickly. Yeah. And yeah, I mean they can do things like improve right. improve access from downtown and make it easier to get over here, that kind of stuff. That only the city and you know, I guess the state mm -hmm. DOT can take care of that stuff. But yeah. other than that, if you just kind of make it easier for property owners to make those changes mm -hmm. that they want to see happen, it'll and, happen. Yeah, quickly. and I think that is that was the plan. The, right. the plan was that if, if the city would do what cities are good at, which is infrastructure mm -hmm. and the rules, private sector will take care of itself, right? If you, yeah. you make it attractive to, to build here and make it easy, then the city doesn't have to invest in the actual development of the area. Right, right. Or at least make it not so prohibitively lengthy and expensive. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I am all for, you know, we, we put a lot of money and effort and time into like ADA access and, and making sure fire safety is right. right. Like I'm all for that. Right. But you know, when we have to go back and forth on relatively insignificant details that eat up weeks of time and email and traffic and meetings yeah. and a lot of money in consulting <laughs> with architects and stuff. Right. It's like, right. If you just take away those, <laughs> those pain points, yeah. things will happen so fast yeah. here. Well, we're currently building a roundabout on the corner of Colorado and Columbia that we're paying for. So this is an example of how new development has to, you know, there's a negotiation about your SDCs and right. what you're going to have to pay for. And, uh, you know, we do have a building there on the corner of Colorado and Columbia, but it's, right. it's, it's small. But this is, these are the agreements and, and, you know, the city has to figure out how they're going to pay for things like new roundabouts. And pretty right. much the only place they can look is, is new development. And, right. uh, and so, it, it is uh, expensive, it is 
time-consuming. Sure. Um, and I guess I have to look at it a little bit from from the city's perspective yeah. as well as where do they get the money, right? Well, and, and I've had conversations with engineers that work with the city frequently about, you know, I try not to get on my soapbox too much about <laughs> the issues of redevelopment here, but they've pointed out that a lot of what the city is, where the city's uh, attitude comes from is in dealing with developers that are trying to cut corners and, and not to drop that at the feet of all developers, sure. but I'm sure there are some who... Yeah you know, yeah. try to get away with whatever they right. can get away with. And I'm like, yeah, I can see where that's a problem. But for someone, and we, I have tried to do this in a way, you know, we have tried to be completely above board about everything, show them exactly every step of the process of what we're doing. And it actually caused, it's caused <laughs> a lot of problems and costs and time. Yeah. And I'm just like, you, if you make it hard for people to do it legally, yeah. They're going to try to do it. Yeah. They're going to try to get around the rules. Yeah. So it's, anyway. it's very expensive right now to do any kind of construction. And right. I don't know if you hit that peak or not, but I mean, oh, hiring yeah. an electrician, watched, hiring a plumber, right? Material expenses. Right. And then you it. add SDCs to that. And it's just really expensive yeah. to, and land costs. It's just very expensive to build in, in bed right now. So what is it you see? Like, what do you see as the main role? Not the main role. What, what are the roles that OSU Cascades can play as we're like redeveloping this part of town or in, in any other economic right. developmental part of Bend? Like yeah. what's that role for OSU Cascades? Because yeah. it's not just to be a school. It's yeah, no, to absolutely. be like you, it's, there's a lot more to it than yeah. that, right? Yeah, no, we try to be super collaborative with our community and that extends to all of Central Oregon. It's hard, of course, Prineville's a long way away and Madras is a long right. ways away, but uh, we're here to serve. And, and the first thing, of course, is access to higher education. That's that's our primary reason for being in, right. in Central Oregon. We are the closest university. Uh, the Corvallis campus is the closest university to Central Oregon if we weren't here. Right. And so nobody's going to be able to commute to any yeah. other okay. uh, any right. other four-year university. So having access to that, but. Um, uh, so workforce development is is another, and that's why we listen so closely to what businesses are moving here. What do they need? What kind of degrees do we have to be offering to to meet the needs of, for the workforce here? And that goes to affordable housing, right? Because if somebody already lives here, goes to school, gets a job, they don't have to figure out where they're going to live. Right. When you have to bring an employee in from outside, and if you're not paying over $100,000, it's really hard for an employee to find a place to live. Right. And then we're with our campus development, we're trying to be a model for uh, net zero development. So everything we're doing is to put us in a position that our entire campus will be net zero energy, water and waste. And I don't have a date for that because, you know, we don't we don't have the funds we would need at this point. Right. Uh, so the building that we're building right now will be uh, if we can get a partner for the solar panels, it will be a net zero building uh, once the solar panels are on the roof. Right. Uh, it's being um, uh, heated and cooled with geothermal, so we're bringing water from about 500 feet down uh, in an aquifer. We're doing heat transfer, putting it right back into that aquifer, so we're not, we're not changing the, the uh, demand on the water. Right. Uh, and then waste will probably be the hardest, right, to actually get to, ne to net zero 
waste where we're recycling everything that, that we can recycle? Um, can we eventually have a way to treat black water so that can be, you know, reused as gray water in landscaping or other, right. you know, filling right. your toilets, whatever it is, but trying to figure out how the, we don't take more water other than what falls on our campus or comes right. into our campus, you know, naturally. So those are our goals. And, and then we, you know, all of the other things around transportation and walkability and, and just trying to have as small of a footprint uh, that as we can in terms of the, whether it's carbon or, or uh, other impacts on our community, you know, that, that we are a contributor and not, not uh, being a negative for, for, uh, for Bender Central Oregon. I can't think of a better place to kind of put a pin in the conversation. <laughs> it sounds like I was going to ask a final question of, you know, what's the big takeaway you would like people to know about OSU Cascades, but what you just said right there sounds like the perfect. We do have 15 acres that are set aside on our master plan for an innovation district. And it's probably not unlike what you're trying to do here in the, in the central district. So, uh, it will be a place where a building could be built that maybe has two floors of university use and two floors of private sector use. So let's say it's a physical therapy place and we have a doctorate of physical therapy degree that's going to be starting next fall. Okay. And so now we have faculty, you know, we have 10, 15 different faculty in our physical therapy program that are collaborating with the physical therapists in the private physical therapy. Uh, business and our students that have internships there mm -hmm. and uh, some of them will get jobs. Um, the faculty are maybe collaborating on research grants to, uh, to do new research on, on new ways to address injuries or whatever it is that those are. Um, you can make that same analogy with biosciences. You know, we have two floors with chemistry in a new building and then a firm like Grace Biolabs or, you know, some other uh, biotech firm mm -hmm. and Bend has another two floors and we've got our professors collaborating with their research scientists on, on, uh, on grants and, and contracts and our students have internships and so that's the vision for this 15 acres. Unfortunately, wow. it's on top of a landfill at the moment. So <laughs> until we can figure out how to get that landfill uh, buildable, right. uh, we, can't, we can't progress on the, but we want housing in there, um, just like you want housing here, right? Uh, affordable housing, we'd like to have childcare there so that the people who are working there have a place for their uh, kids to be while they're working. All the things that I'm sure are being talked about with the, with the central district right. as well. Right. Wow, that's, that all sounds fantastic. Is there any place, if people want to find out more about you or about OSU Cascades, where would you send them? OSUcascades.edu. .edu, <laughs> yes. Gotcha, yeah. okay. Yeah. No, I, I, we, our website has all the information about what we're doing on the physical campus. You okay. can go there. We have a webcam. You can watch it in real time. <laughs> Very exciting. And in right fact, now. you can even like go an back. Empty campus. They have oh, time lapse. Is it the construction? Like the yep. actually, yep. it's the construction. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I would actually yeah. like to check. I it think out. it's about probably 15 minutes now. You can go back a year and a half and watch them dig out the pumice mine and put it all back together. Oh, those things are cool to me. I'm yeah. fascinated by this stuff <laughs> for some reason. You can see what all of our degree programs are and just OSU Cascades. All one word. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Becky, thank you for taking the time to come and 
talk with me about what's happening and and also it's been great just to kind of find out your backstory and and how you how you ended up here and what you've been up to it's it's, i really appreciate it yeah no thanks for having me it's real fun thanks thanks for joining us the call to create with host charlie till is presented by ghost village film and captured at open space event studios in bend oregon subscribe and follow on youtube itunes and thecalltocreate.com